guys. Welcome back to Liberty Diner Dish. I'm Michelle, and I am sharing some bonus content. This is a very special conversation that I got to have with Michael McLennan, one of the writers of Queer as Folk from season two through season five. This episode does contain spoilers, so if you've not seen the show all the way through, don't listen to this. That includes you, Ken. But if you have, or if you're okay with spoilers, go ahead and check out part one of our conversation. So I am here with Mr. Michael McLennan. Now, you did not start out with the group. So tell me, how did you, had you already seen the show or how did you get involved with Queer's Folk? Well, the the show was, um, the first season of the show that was, they finished writing it um, before they, virtually before they finished, started filming it. And they finished filming it, almost finished filming it before it aired. So I was aware of the show. I was actually living in Toronto at the time, which was where um, the show is, as you know, where it was filmed. And um, I saw an early episode of it and I was really excited by what was coming, you know, before the world was about to see this. So it was just yeah. starting to be a show that was about to take off. And my the producers on, on the series, Ron Cowan and Dan Lippman, they uh, asked to meet with me uh, because they ha- still happened to be up in Toronto. They were just wrapping up filming on the first season. And they, at that point, I guess they they knew that they were looking to sort of change up the writing room. Mm-hmm. What I didn't realize was they were, they actually completely uh, revamped the writing room. There was nobody mm-hmm. from the first season that ended up being on the show uh, past the first season. They, they, they rethought it. And I think a big part of what they were looking for were more... Um, writers who had television experience. Mm. Uh, the first season, the most of the writers were um, hadn't done TV. They, they might have written a, a feature film uh, and have been filmmakers on their own right, but they just didn't have the chops in television. So I was really excited to meet them. And then that then it was silence for a couple months. Uh, and then I got the news that that they had made their decisions on the writing room and that I was to come to Los Angeles where the uh, the sort of center of the room was yeah. and uh, and to start. And I was quaking in my boots. Oh my God, <laughs> I was so nervous because, well, A, they just had fired everybody from the first right. season. So a lot of is, pressure. These, these people, yeah, <laughs> these people fire people, you know? So yeah. I was like, oh my gosh. And I was so, um, I think because I really was so excited about the show, like, you know, when you don't care as much, you're not as nervous, you know? Right. And, and in this case, I was really uh, engaged in in the themes of the show, and I could see the, the potential of it. And by then, of course, the show had was on the air on Showtime and really, you know, causing a, a wonderful sensation. Um, and so it was me and a, and a few other writers, and then we just sort of, you know, got to business in the in the second season. And of those writers, there were only. Uh, actually, I think I was the only one who made it through to the end. So they, they continued to always sort of refresh the writers, uh, bring right. in a few more writers from, from different backgrounds. And uh, pretty much after the third season, so my second season was the kind of the writing team that would see us through till the end of season five. But I, I think I was the, the longest serving writer on it. I'm just racking my brains to think <laughs> if there was somebody else. Uh, no. I think everybody else, you know, there was another change up in season three. And then, and then from there, um, we made it to the end. Carried it to the end. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So tell me about the writer's room. What was that, that environment yeah. like? Well, what it's, it's, it's pretty common now on most shows, but at the time there was sort of two ways of making television. One is more like, think like the procedural law and order type of way where it, you're pretty much individual. You would go and you would pitch to your boss, you know, the showrunner. And mm-hmm. it would be, you know, this crime of this week. And I think this would be sort of how it works. And you sort of just go back and forth with maybe two writers and and then the showrunner. And that works well for shows that are, um, you know, they're not serialized as much. Right. And the other way of working is the way we did. And, and it's pretty much the way most television gets made now because, you know, with streaming and that, so m- most things are serialized. And we would work together as a, as a room, in a room. And what it basically looks like is we're, <laughs> we were in this windowless room on Wilshire Boulevard mm-hmm. in Beverly Hills. And you're sitting around a kind of um, uh, board table 
and you're looking at a giant dry erase marker board. Uh-huh. And even though the show wasn't necessarily didn't uh, didn't always have commercials, we still structured it, you know, like you would a play, you know, an act. So you'd have these lines down the um, the dry erase marker board, and you're basically together as a group, kind of staring at that board, trying to figure out what happens next. Yeah. And so you might we'd start a season where we would talk about the big themes of a season. And we would talk about the big arcs of characters as we expected them. Mm-hmm. But, and we would have a pretty good, you know, pretty thorough um, journey for every main character. Okay. But we would also be flexible. And I think this is one of the great achievements of the show and one of the great lessons that the showrunners taught me was that, you know, you don't have to know at, by Friday of the, your, your mm-hmm. first week what every story is going to be. And there were so many times where we would, we'd think, oh, this will be the great, uh, you know, this will be a little fling um, mm-hmm. that say that somebody has with somebody else. And we would get into breaking the story and telling the story. And we were like, this is actually really interesting. Like this, and, and the, you know, they would end up being long running characters. Yeah. And uh, on the contrary, there were t- some times where we would think, you know, this is half a season, this storyline. And once we dug into it, we'd, you know, we'd be like, ah, you know what? I feel like we've kind of burned through this in one hour, you know, like we're Mm kind of good, like let's move (laughs) on. So you need to have that flexibility and you need to be able to sort of surprise yourself um, as storytellers, because I I think that the the feeling was if we kind of know the end of the story, you do too. Like you can just feel it as you're watching the show, you know? So we had a real, um, solid foundation, but we were flexible with it. And then it was just the simple work. It would take us a week, uh, Monday to Friday, every episode, we would sort of just start with where do we leave the characters? What's sort of vibrating for each character? What are the sort of hottest stories right now? And so sometimes the, the, um, the, the story, if you will, would tell us what it needs to be. Cause it's like, okay, we left on a cliffhanger. We need to sort of honor this story. Obviously it's going to be a story in the next episode. Uh, and then sometimes it was like, you know, we haven't been servicing, um, you know, a certain character lately or, yeah. you know, so what can we do? What, how could we change things up for them? And what, and then what we're essentially doing is we're sitting together and we're talking deeply talking through every scene. And we're thinking about where the scene is happening, who's in the scene, what do they want in the scene, what is the real um, uh, sort of turn of the scene. And inevitably what would happen is you'd write more scenes than you end up needing. You sort of mm-hmm. over, and I say write, like what we're doing is we're just sort like of writing. it. Yeah. yeah, we're right. We're plotting it and, we're, and you're sort of, it, it has to fit on a, you know, a in a couple sentences, what the scene is. And it's, in, it's very telling. Like if, if you need more than a couple sentences to, to tell the scene and you're not clear about what the scene is, or maybe it's two scenes. And so we would, it, w- it was really about kind of distilling that, that narrative. And we're not, a, we're not initially worried about what scenes necessarily in what order. Um, sometimes we wouldn't even worry about day breaks and things like that right away. You're just trying to really understand the shape of each um, each episode uh, of each storyline. Mm-hmm. And then what you do is you start to blend it. You start to think, well, this is impossible because this, this scene is right beside this. This is a morning scene and this is a nightclub scene or this <laughs> character's in three scenes in a row, but diff- emotionally in different places. So right. you, you're constantly sort of refining that uh, until you get to a place where you can sort of just go through and really understand the story and really tell yourself the story of that episode. And at the same time that all that's happening, you're recording the the bigger conversation. So you might have, um, you know, two thirds of a page for a scene of just all of the notes of the, of the things that people have been um, talking about and thinking about to, to sort of to flush out that distillation of it that's on the board. So then when it goes, it, then depending on who's, um, script it is, you, you, you're never sort of staring at the blank page alone. You mm-hmm. have, you already have, you know, 15 pages of, of notes. And then it's your job to sort of create that into an outline. 
and then that's where, you know, sometimes the rubber hits the road. Sometimes, you know, that Friday night at three o'clock or six o'clock, you know, and you're thinking, oh yeah, this is a great story beat. And then, you know, once it comes down to the writer, you're, it's like, ah, you know what? This is actually not, we're not quite there yet. And so you have, it's up to you to sort of solve those problems as a writer. What's great about that system is you have everybody's mind uh, at every turn building that story. So it's not just one person. And that was really, um, I think, a great sort of effective strategy for us so that at the end of the day, we, you know, we saw our own work in every episode, whether our name was on it, right. and we benefited from everybody's um, storytelling instincts. And, and I should say that um, part of the process was really, and I think this is part of what the refinement was for, for our, uh, our showrunners in getting the right writers on the show was that it was an intensely personal experience. So when you're telling these stories, you know, there were so many times where somebody would open their mouth and essentially say a version of a camp. I've never told anybody this before. I can't Mm -hmm. believe I'm telling you this. And, and so there was an incredible amount of trust And, you know, we used to joke, it was like a giant therapy session every day. And God knows, you know, there was nobody else on the planet in those years that we spent more of our waking hours with. I mean, you sit in a room and you talk all day and you talk about your experiences and you feel safe enough to kind of share those and, and to make crazy suggestions. You know, one of the challenges of, of being in a writer's room is that you often you're sort of creating on the fly. So you're, you're opening your mouth to say something and you don't even know if it's a good idea because you haven't (laughs) even finished saying it yet. And, and so you really need to trust your, um, uh, your, your, your fellow writers that they're not just going to be like, okay, that's the worst idea I've ever heard. Like what, what's going on in your brain. And I can't tell you the number of times where it would be like this bonkers idea that was so wrong. But if you, if you, if you look backwards, you realize that that bonkers idea led to like a really good idea. And it wouldn't have come out if if you hadn't, if somebody hadn't have said, I got a crazy idea, but, or what about this? And, and so, you know, you're wanting to have writers who can really uplift each other and rather than tear each, I mean, sometimes we would tease each other and say, are are you insane? Like that's ridiculous, (laughs) but it's all out of love. You know, we were really trying to, to sort of push those boulders up the hill. Yeah. So that's what it that's what it looks like. It's not particularly glamorous. It's long days and it's hard work, but I think the results were it's the best way of getting the best results. So when this show was in its original run, I was very young and very yeah. sheltered in some ways. Uh-huh. And so I had no, I guess, awareness of what um the climate was in the entertainment world for stories like this and with characters yeah. like this, you know, that dealt with issues in the LGBTQ plus community. So what was it like to be to be writing, you know, like that for, um, well, really good question. I mean, we were, we were, um, there was nothing else like us, uh, when, when the show started. Um, I think, I think there was a couple stages. I wasn't part of stage one on this, but that is where, um, frankly, Showtime did not expect the show to do very well. Uh, it certainly didn't expect it to be number one, which it was. Yeah. Uh, so there was a, pr- a brief period where sort of anything was possible. Uh, they weren't really censoring us. And, and then the show became a sensation. And I think what they didn't expect was that it, it spoke to so many people beyond the queer community. Right. So you've got, you, you know, like uh, you can't be number the number one show on a network, if your fans are only a very specific, you know, narrow uh, area of the population. And, and so once it got real, once it was a sensation, which is when I was lucky enough to come in, um, uh, there was a little bit more oversight there. There was, you know, they were very concerned about, you know, pushing the nudity or the sexuality or, or some of the kind of content um, a little too far. but I think what was what was the sort of wild west of it all, I guess, was that we there was a lot of criticism from within 
the gay community. Mm-hmm, right. That that we were we weren't representing, um, you know, the LGBTQ plus community properly. You know, this was still at a time where we, you know, the, these communities were so needing representation. Yeah. And um, and so every, you sort of needed to be the poster child. You couldn't do anything yeah. wrong. You couldn't do anything. Um, you know, I had a conversation with a, a friend of mine who just after I got the job, who I, w- I was telling him I got the job. He was very excited. He, the first season was out. He told his coworkers uh, who were by and large straight. And it was that t- to tune in t- tonight, you know, because it was on <laughs> or this weekend or whatever. And it was the, the, that sort of famous season one bathhouse episode. Um, and, um, and my friend was like, um, oh my God, like you should have told, like, <laughs> what, it, what are you doing? You know, like, this is crazy. I don't. And, and I said, he was like really upset at, at this sort of presentation. And I was like, dude, you go to the baths all the time. <laughs> like, this is true. And yeah. he, he just said, he said the most telling thing, which was, yeah, but I don't want them to know. Yeah. And I think if, I think that part of the conversation that was happening around the show was Yes, this is true, but why are you letting uh, being afraid of the yeah. judgment that it was going to have? And I think one of the reasons why the show has been so enduring is that those things have we were ahead of our time, and so a lot of those things that were so challenging at the time have become a little bit more of the public discourse. And I would just also say, and you may want to get into the specifics of characters later, but yeah. but a, a really big um, you know lightning rod was the character Brian. That mm-hmm. so many, particularly gay men, really had a problem with him. And it, I, you know, not to get all Jungian. On, on you here, but I think it was a lot of sort of issues around shadow projection. And, you know, it's like, and what was so interesting is how much women really liked Brian, you know, mm-hmm. that he had. And if you sort of boil it down, this is a guy who has a very strong, um, clear moral driver. He is right. honest, always. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he is generous. He is, you know, he's absolutely has a bit of a, you know, in it for himself. But there was a lot of very noble qualities about him. And he, uh, but but it was really hard for people to see that. And then, you know, you've got, I mean, I love all these characters equally, yeah, but, course. you know, you look at somebody like Michael and he, you know, he's, he lies. He, he's not honest <laughs> with people. Right. He, you know, he is, he is not a, a courageous person and people would love him. And it's just so, it's <laughs> sort of interesting how it provoked conversation. And I remember that Ron and Dan at one point, and this was way before the days of, you know, Twitter and, you know, reddits and Tumblr. Course, yeah. and all that. But there was still a lot of feedback that they were getting. And, you know, they were very, they were never going to change their vision of the show. And it didn't matter. You know, I think their theory was, I don't care whether they like Brian or not. They're still watching the show, you know, and they might be watching it. They might think they want something else to happen. They might be begging for two people to get together or break up or whatever, but the act, it doesn't mean you should give it to them. They're, they're showing up for a reason and something's happening in their experience of the show. So that's sort of one answer to that. And I, I guess I just sort of add to, to, to the question because it's a really good question and a really big question. I think that what the show did was it paved, I think there's, it paved the way for more sophisticated, you know, a, a continuation of the conversations of representation. Um, I think the early days, there was a sort of like kid in the candy store. Like I can't believe (laughs) how much we can show this sex or do this. And so it was, there was a slightly, it was more about like, what can we get away with? Right. And as the seasons went on, you know, that, that was just sort of taken for granted. And it was more about, we could talk about this theme. We could talk about this sort of political reality and that those things started to be the more scary kind of like trailblazing sort of right. senses of things. And, you know, the show, the show did not hit the mark in terms of representation, um, like uh, racial diversity. Um, and I think there was a lot of things that, that it needed 
to, you know, that if it were to be launched today, you know, there's things that sort of date the show, I suppose. But I think there's a lot of ways where we paved the way for bigger conversations. Absolutely. I absolutely agree with that. Um, I always, and I'll say it to you specifically, but on our podcast, I always want to just credit you guys for your bravery in in doing that in, a, in an environment in a time where that was not the norm, it was not um, widely accepted. Well, I mean, the show was, but you know, just. No, you're saying. right. And and I think one of the things, thank you for that. And I think one of the things I'm, you're reminding me was there were times in that room where we would be kind of going down a road on a story and we would kind of pause and look at each other and be like, are we going to do this? And mm-hmm. And I think that's such a great place to be where you're a little bit scared mm-hmm. and you're scared because you haven't seen it before. Anything, you know, when you're, when you're sort of rolling along on a story, it's cause it's like, well, it's 10% of this and 14% of that. And we've <laughs> sort of seen this before and it's the things that are familiar. And so you, you're less likely to fall on your face or to, to be judged harshly. And we were always kind of trying to blaze trails. Bush got reelected in the middle of, right. of the making of this. And that those were some really dark days for us. It sounds almost naive now because of, yeah. you know, <laughs> God. Yeah. I mean, um, but, but at the time it really, really, uh, we spent a lot of time like in the early months after his reelection where we would, you know, we would be talking about how we were coping with the sort of political reality and I remember one day, and I was like, we should put this in the show. And, you know, because if we're talking about it, it's out there, you know. Mm-hmm. And one day Ron and Dan came in and they said, you know, it's tr- he's right. And we, we need to find ways to sort of talk about this because we may never get this opportunity again. That we really had, you know, people talk about just the, the, con- the, the sexual content on the show. But we were really, we had the freedom once we sort of proven ourselves as a series, we really had the freedom to talk about whatever we wanted. And there were, yeah. we, there weren't very many times where we were kind of censored. And I feel like that's some of the stuff I'm most proud of. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it came, it became so much bigger than, I mean, it was, I love the first season too. I love all the seasons, but it it did really become so much bigger than just, Ooh, look at these guys in Babylon. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it, absolutely. And you know, one of the, one of the, the, beauty beautiful kind of things of of an ensemble drama is that you can you can return to relationships and you can deepen a relationship that maybe you didn't really you know you didn't really explore early on because you had the obvious kind of love triangle for example or that you know the Emmett and um and uh, oh my God, uh, Scott Lowell's character. What's his name? Ted. Um, Ted. <laughs> you know they're besties, but, but but what happens if you start cross pollinating? And what happens if right. you get those great scenes between characters who've never really um, had a moment together before? And mm-hmm. that, that those were so, you know, and so you're just you're sort of deepening the the fabric of of the world uh, in time, which yeah. you know if you do yeah. it right. Okay, you made me think of a question that's not on my list here. Oh, I love it. I love just it. A quick little question. So I know how the, the UK version goes, the original version of Queer's Folk Goals with uh, that that whole triangle thing. Was yep. there ever an intention, do you know, for the US version to follow that, like for Brian and Michael to be kind of in game? Um, no. Okay. No. Uh, that's a that is it's a really interesting question. It, it it we we wanted to never we I think we really believed that they were friends and that they weren't mm-hmm. good for each other, if you will. Right. Um, no, I agree with that one hundred percent. I just yeah, wondered if that was yeah. yeah. And I think I mean I think you, you're speaking to a difference in what you know. We would never have been. We would never be here if it weren't for Russell T Davies. I mean, he's mm-hmm. a brilliant, brilliant uh, writer, and I think one of the best that we've ever had. And, um, but his, his sort of mandate was to do really one season. And then they sort of added tacked on a little bonus, uh, you know, I don't even know you could call it a season, but, um, whereas the, the, the requirement, if you will, of, of the American queerest folk was to run a marathon was to run for many years. And, so you you see at the beginning, you know, you see in that first episode even, there are a lot of similarities to the the episode mm-hmm. one of the British version, 
But there's also really telling ways that it starts to verge. And some right. of that was, I th- I'm sure, a matter of taste and, and, and vision of, of the showrunners. But it's also because you have to start creating a long-running animal here. Yeah. And, and so it, it, it just has different requirements. And um, so, you know, it, of course, people are going to say, uh, you know, they're going to compare the two and they're going to, you know, um, and wonder why you did this or why you did that. But you can't, it, it, we couldn't have replicated the first six hours of the UK version because then what? Like you, you need right. to sort of keep something going for, for you know, as we did successfully for five years. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. No, I totally appreciate them as two separate entities. And I think that the journey for each of them was the right, you know, the right call. Um, but I just, you know, you always yeah. hear people like, well, that was the original intention, but they changed their mind because of this or that. <laughs> so, no, know. I mean, we, we obviously, as you know, we, we never stopped kind of flirting with that possibility and not to sort of jerk around the audience, but because right. that is, uh, you know, that is so alive in the, the hearts of those two men. But we, um, we didn't feel that the, the, the characters as we had made them, because they aren't carbon copies, of course, of right. the British, that they would be the, that that would be the right thing for either of them. And I think we, we found a way that I think it's a happy ending, if you will, for kind of the four of them in that, in that sort of love for sure. rectangle, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to move into some episode specific questions or topics. Um, And now I know that, like you said, there's kind of an overall theme for each season. And also you're kind of involved even in the ones that don't have your name beside them. But I just took some of the ones that do have your name with them uh, to to go over with you. Um, Okay. So one, I want to talk about. I have to interrupt you and just say, I'm so nervous now (laughs) because it's been 20 years. Good. Somebody else can be nervous here. (laughs) (laughs) Not just me. You're going to have to help me remember. Oh, I got you. Probably, but I'll do my best. I got you. Yeah. Okay. Let me see here. Um, So let's start with uh, the pride episode. That's the fourth episode of season two. And that was a huge episode for a lot of the of the characters. I mean, this is Justin uh, post bashing. This is Ted yeah. with his ever present self esteem issues. It's um, Michael who's still in the closet in his professional life, um, and so just a lot that they're all going through as they're getting ready for Pride. So just kind of talk to me a little bit about that. Well, that was my first episode. Okay. Uh, I, of the four, I, I ended up writing 14 episodes, which, um, is, is more than any other, uh, screenwriter on the show. Um, and you don't have um, to toot your own horn. I'll toot it for you. Okay. Well, I, <laughs> Good I, job. I yeah, thank you. Um, and, uh, so it is one I really remember well, um, mm-hmm. because it, you know, you always remember your first or whatever. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but, you know, I think what we wanted to do was sort of um, explore the idea of pride, uh, you know, like through the, the various storylines. So, you know, I can't I can't say that I remember the, uh, sort of an organizing theme of every of every episode, but we usually had something that kind of was a, a reason to kind of cohere the, the, the storylines. And that was certainly and of course, to be about pride is also to be about shame. And, you know, right. like, for example, the that, that sort of, you know, I think it's just sort of a heartbreaking um, kind of come down that, that Ted has, you know, with this guy, you know, he's basically a charity fuck, you know, right. for this guy. I, I remember that. And I remember when we were pitching that and, you know, at first it's sort of a joke, you know, that's an example where somebody, somebody just pitched that as a sort of silly joke. And then, but once you dig into it, it's like, well, what's that actually about? And who mm-hmm. is this, who is this, um, who is, who are both, you know, you have to make the other person a character as well, you know? Right. Um, but, but, but the, ultimately it's, it's a, it's a largely healing, uh, experience. I think that, you know, we, we, we were sort of at a place then where the notion of pride hadn't turned into like the full on corporate, um, giant bank floats and, and huge corporate sponsorships it wasn't that yet. And it wasn't uh-huh. it, but we'd moved on from the roots of pride, which were, you know, very much in the sort of social justice yeah. uh, protest movement. And so we were sort of somewhere in between and wanting to kind of talk about the healing power of what it is to be among 
uh, you know, our allies and to yeah. be a presence in the in the world. And the stakes of that, the stakes of that for somebody like Michael and the way that, um, as I recall, it really bolsters Justin to be, you know, part of that. So we wanted it to sort of be something that could really show the power of the, the, the courage of being out, the courage of marching, the courage of taking some steps that are outside of your comfort zone and to have that largely met with a wash of positivity, a wash of love. Yeah. And I think there was also a desire to sort of try and see what we could do to kind of viscerally portray uh, a pride event for those very, very many of us who didn't have that opportunity, who did mm -hmm. either there wasn't one where they lived or they were not in a place where they could, it wasn't a question of courage. It was a question of self-preservation, you know, to stay away from those things. Um, like, again, to make sure to just be clear nowadays, if you, sh you know, half the people who go to a pride parade aren't, aren't, don't even identify, you know, right. or community, but, and they're welcome, come on yeah. down, you know, <laughs> you know, enjoy yourself. But at the time it was, it really cost a lot to do those things and it could, it had consequences. And so, but we wanted it to sort of build to a kind of, a, a, you know, a sense of elation and positivity. Um, and, and it, I believe, you know, it's a bit of a reset episode, certainly, correct me if I'm wrong, but certainly for, you know, we wanted, we wanted to really do honor, for example, for what happened to Justin. It's right. not just like, okay, well, you know, kiss the boo-boo and make it better and right. we'll move on. But we also wanted to let him get on a path of healing. Mm -hmm. And that, that was an episode where we were able to kind of turn the page uh, of, you know, we, we'd had three episodes where we really um, dug into to what happened to him and were like emotionally honest about that. Mm -hmm. But then it was a way to sort of show paths forward. Um, yeah. Is that, a, is that, a, do you think that's right? Yeah, no, I yeah. absolutely agree yeah. with that. Yeah. Okay. And I'm, I loved your answer there. I, that, I like that episode, but uh, just hearing what you said about it and just thinking about there was a lot of shame and there was a lot of cost attached to, to pride. Like now I see that in a whole different way. So yeah. thank you for that. I remember, I remember when we were break, breaking episode three and I was like, oh God, I want episode three so bad. Like this is my <laughs> early day. Like you realize okay. it doesn't matter. It's like trains. The next right. one's going to come and it's going to get you where you want to be. But I remember episode three, I was like, ah, oh, I wish I had episode three. And then we start breaking episode four and I'm like, oh my God, I get the pride yeah. episode. Are you, I'll take that back. I'm really happy with episode four. So yeah, that's a great one to yeah, have your name yeah. attached to. Yeah, it is. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, because of you, that is. Well, uh, so yeah. what was behind the decision to have Michael go in drag instead of Adam as, as just Michael? Well, there were, there was a couple things there. One is that drag is, is of course a kind of mask. Mm -hmm. Um, so that you're not, um, you're sort of hidden in plain sight. It's not like everybody necessarily recognized him. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And that it was a way for him to, God, it's, it's hard for me to re recover this, uh, in my memories here, but it, I think it was, it was a, it was about a, a way for him to sort of double down. Like he didn't want to go. He'd never gone before, as I recall. Yeah. Right. That's right. He'd never participated. And so it was a way to, it was a way for him to walk, to sort of be in that space um, and to sort of answer his critics who, who were saying, you know, you're, you're afraid, you're a coward, you're, you're not really willing to sort of show up and, and, put your body on the line. Right. And it, so it was a way for him, I think through his body to, to start to integrate, you know, the archetypes of male and female in himself and to make some steps that didn't require, you know, big, long um, speeches or things like mm -hmm. that, that, that could sort of show us that it was a way for him to answer his critics, I think, who, who might've seen him as a coward, but it was also it was a way for him to, to put his body out there and be somewhat hidden as well. Yeah. It's kind of um, like a, you have to meet people where they are kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And there, there are those who had compassion for him around that. And there are those right. who criticized him about that. And, right. you know, and that, I think that was also really part of the debate at the time 
where again today there's you know there's so many people who can't come out safely but at that time there it was much more there were so many more consequences to it right. and you know, you would think, oh my God, well, like, I mean, look who your mom is, dude. Like, come on. I know. That's what we always say, but still. It's still, I mean, I, I, um, uh, my godson is, is, is identifies as queer and he has two moms and, (laughs) and he didn't tell them for a long time. And, Mm -hmm. and I was like, you know, I have a feeling they're going to be okay with this, (laughs) Uh, but you know, everyone's on their own path. And I think, I think what's, I, I think the other thing that's really successful about that story choice is that you don't expect it you're you know you're there's they're banging the drum of show up be kind of man up you know and and do the things that you need to 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 participate in this and he finds his way to do that and I think that's really um I think it's it's one of those things where you're surprised but then you're like yeah no I get it I get it Uh, hopefully you get it I agree with that yeah okay good yeah okay so a little bit further into season two. Well, one thing you brought up, uh, Justin, with this one, I feel like this this phrase is not used, but I feel like kind of over season two, there is this undercurrent of PTSD with him. It shows up in different ways and at different times. And some people just, well, he's too needy or he's you know immature or annoying or whatever. But I think that undercurrent is there. Um, would you say that I'm right or Ab- I'm not? Absolutely. Wrong? And we we I mean it's interesting. I don't know how. I don't think that was really part of the vocabulary then to use the term PTSD. Like yeah, I, I'm sure not. it was in the sort of medical community, but but we very much wanted to explore the consequences of, of that assault, mm-hmm. but we needed to find different ways to do it. We couldn't keep kind of banging the same drum right? because you need, it's just, it, it's, you know, you're, you're into a story and you're, you're like, actually, we told this story last week, you know, so what's the next step of that? And, mm-hmm. you know, for those of us who had been myself included, who, who had been the victim of assault, we really wanted to carve out a journey forward and really that's the defining thing for him. I mean, it, it informs everything. It informs his, his work in the comics, you know, like the, yeah. that is a very healing kind of taking back his power um, through that character. And so it really, but I think what we, the way we sort of looked at it was it, I don't know if we ever used this term before, but it was kind of like a two steps forward, one step back kind of thing. Yeah. So that it wasn't relentless, but it didn't forget. It didn't yeah. forget that that, had happened to him and that it shaped not only his life, but it, it affected so many other people in, in, in his orbit, the, the people yeah. that loved and cared for him most, most significantly, of course, Brian and, and his mother. Right. Um, but they, you know, so we really, we really wanted to do that justice, but you, you can't leave somebody in the same spot you need to. Right. And, and also I think we wanted to offer a path forward and some of it isn't healthy and some of it isn't successful. Uh, and some of it takes years, i.e. I. seasons, to really yeah. kind of manifest. So yeah. we we were we weren't um we weren't ever gonna forget that that happened to him. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, yeah, I definitely picked up on that. You know, the first time I watched the show, I was just kind of which was about uh now two years ago, was mm-hmm. the first time I saw it all the way through. And I just, you know, you're binge watching. And so you're just hitting sure. the, ma- the major things. But now going through it slowly and doing like an episode by episode commentary, I'm really yeah. see all the psychology behind these characters. And that's one in particular, like you said, it, it informs a lot of what happens to him, not just in this season, but in the seasons at, that follow it as well. So um, kind of with that in mind, but also pulling in some other people, let's move on to another episode. Uh, I think this one is 208, I think. Uh, so this is when we see Justin and he kind of hooks up with the college student and who's a hopeless romantic, just like Justin mm-hmm. was at one point. Also, this is when Emmett meets George and we get this, well, we kind of have a May-December relationship with Brian and Justin, but it's not really what you think yeah. of when you think of May-December relationship. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. So tell me a little bit about that, uh, that journey. Is it, is the college student, was that the violin player, like Fab? No, not yet. No. Oh, okay. Uh, we're getting to that one. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, <laughs> Um, the, the, you know, I think what we wanted to do with that, that's partly not to say that he only hooks up because of, of his trauma, 
But I think he is looking to sort of crack out of the the sort of there's a push pull between him and Brian, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he he's, right. he's there. Brian is is you know delivers so many things for him, but he's you know he's older too, and he's trying to kind of assert himself and to try and sort of stick to his own lane and, and play with you know people who are closer to his age. And so we just felt like that was true to the somebody of that, you know, who's who's now sexually active. Right. He's having this kind of, you know, conflicted relationship with Brian. And he's trying to, he's trying on other people for size. I mean, I think especially in that, at that age, you, you know, we can't believe or he we can't expect him to believe that Brian is is some, you know, the somebody who's the right person for him for any length of time if he isn't at least looking at alternatives, not, not, right. not to say he has to sleep with those alternatives always, but I think we felt that of course he's going to want to do this. Of course he's going to want to try this on for Like, are these things going to be the same with somebody else that they are for Brian? And of course the answer is in many respects, no, uh, but that helps to kind of clarify who they are to each other. Mm-hmm. So in a way, sort of Brian's the kind of third man in that, in that bed. Um, and, uh, and, and also the, to, to counter the, the big way that, as I recall, they're different is that I don't think you could call Brian a hopeless romantic. Right. No. Um, and so you're getting somebody who's, you know, loving and tender and sweet and, and maybe that's not what Justin wants. And maybe those things aren't as on, aren't as true, like that, that, that romance in that respect isn't um is a kind of fallacy and so there, there's a sort of a desire to kind of expose that a little bit yeah. and to kind of tell the anti-romantic story if that makes sense like where you're sort of saying like that's supposed to be the um the be all and end all and certainly a lot of young people that's what they think they want but once once it sort of happens you're like well that's not as interesting to me, or it's not as honest to me. Um, And it's, and of course, Emmett and George, I mean, that's, you know, that's a story that, you know, that's an example actually, where we thought that was going to be a very brief Mm storyline, maybe not very brief, but we didn't expect it to kind of go as it did. Okay. And we were, you know, we found ourselves really interested in that um, storyline and we really wanted to, kind of um probe it a bit more and and to and it, and you know they were so good together so so as but but as we were writing it we we just found that there was more there than kind of met the eye initially and so and and you know in a way it was also we we were interested in um trying to tell stories of you know not everyone needed to be um you know under 25 and you know ripped and <laughs> yeah. and that and to sort of kind of look at those options as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I do feel like that's important uh because through George's character this is a person who later on in life is finally like no this is who I am this is how I'm going to live my life. Um and it's I think it's an interesting pairing to put him with Emmett. I know that makes sense for that character but also because mm-hmm. that's Emmett's motto like I am who I am kind of thing. Yeah. So, I thought yeah. it was really neat to see the two of them together. Yeah, and there's something so beautiful about the why of, about how George really is almost in awe of Emmett's yeah. uh, freedom, and um, you know it, that that he just wasn't from a generation where that was possible, and so there's something so beautiful to him about Emmett, and uh, you know part of the the conversations we had, of course, Emmett. Again, you know, Emmett could have just been sort of a one note kind of character, this sort mm-hmm. of really campy, fey kind of um, version of a, of a gay man. And he, you know, he has so much more dimension, but we also didn't, we, we also didn't want, like, for him, when he's attractive, it doesn't mean that he ever has to give up any of those things. And right. so we created a, a love story where none of his uh, light had to be kind of, you know, diminished, yeah. diminished <laughs> mm-hmm. to, to sort of fit in. And, and um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. Uh, so we talked about this a little bit in talking about the other guy, but the whole Ethan arc, you know, I know a lot of fans put you on their bad list because <laughs> it's like Justin was not allowed to be with anybody but, <laughs> but Brian. Right. Uh, but I did think that that was important for both of them. I think, yeah, I think that art taught both of them a lot. Um, like kind of what you were saying earlier. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do too. And, and, um, are you saying that p- people are like, they, they were really shipping Justin and Ethan? No, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> no. Hey, hey. Yeah. 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 I think, yeah. you know, there are people who, who hate that, who, you know, who hate the idea of Justin with Ethan, you know, right. but I do okay. think it was yeah. necessary for yeah. his character growth. And it made sense of where he, where he's at, you know, like you said, yeah. where he's on this process of healing and he's trying out different things. And so, yeah, I think it made yeah. sense for him. Yeah. Good. All right. So moving on down a little bit more. and But I do want to do another one in season two, and that is uh, episode 219. And so this is after Brian has found out about Ethan and what's going on with, mm-hmm. with him. And there's a scene where Brian's been out bowling you know, with the rest of the gang and Justin comes home. And um, there's very little dialogue in this scene. And because when, you know, like I said, Justin comes in and uh, he's like, I want to go take a shower. <laughs> but then there's just this very intense moment with the two of them and they're, but they're just kissing during this moment, you know, it's kind of mm-hmm. like all over each other, but there's a whole lot that's being conveyed through their bodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what were you, I guess, as the writer for that, even though there are not a lot of words there, except for when Brian says, you go take a shower, you sink at the end there. Right. right what right. all are you putting in that, in that scene or how do you direct uh, what them a to? Good, yeah. Well, I, I, I will start by saying I think that um, one of the great uh, performances of of the series is the the sort of dance that that our Justin and our Brian do, do together. Yeah. Uh, th- those actors are just phenomenal and yeah. were so courageous mm-hmm. and just just were absolutely um, phenomenal together. You know, and yeah. and so much of what of their story is a nonverbal story. It is mm-hmm. a physical story. It, you know, Brian is not general. I mean, he's, he can certainly, um, uh, you know, spin a yarn or, or convince somebody in words, but he's not as a character, a particularly um, verbal character. Right. And it's sort of like, watch what I do, not what I say. And, and if you watch what he, he does, I, and I maintain he's a, he's a very, as I said before, I think he's a very moral and, loyal and, and decent person and yeah. courageous person. Um, but I think what's happening here is that Brian knows and Brian is troubled by that. Brian is upset to think that, um, he, I, I don't, this might be overstating it, but that he might quote unquote lose Justin, you know? Yeah. And so I think that it's a way of reminding Justin it's sort of yanking Justin's chain a little, um, reminding him, you know, what we have and having the confidence to know that it's better. It's yeah. better than what you're getting um, yeah. outside of this bed. And so that um, that's very Bryant to me, you know, like, it, 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 but, but there is a, there's a, in my view, there's, it comes from a place of a little bit of vulnerability. Like if, if, if Brian didn't care, if Brian was like, no, go, you know, if, if we're done, go, I don't mm-hmm. care, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but we sort of know more than Justin does in that moment. We, right. we don't know that he's feeling these things. We haven't seen him sort of his reaction. So but I think that there's a kind of compassion for Brian there because he doesn't have a lot of equipment to talk about his feelings, to right. open himself up, you know, and, and there's so many times I think we would agree where, you, you know, you're just like, Oh, Brian, if you could just say yeah. fill in the blank, you yeah. know, if you could just, just give this person a little something of yourself. Mm-hmm. And those are the ways where he's really shut down. And I think mm-hmm. over time we come to have compassion for that. Right. But but this is a place where I think he's he's afraid he's nervous. As I recall, I could be. No, I, you're he, you're a hundred percent on. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 we're seeing him fight fire with fire, mm-hmm. and he's using the best sharpest little arrow in his quiver, which is sex with yeah. Justin. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
and then and then you're right and then there's that beautiful little moment at the end where he's just he, he's like mission accomplished you know <laughs> and yeah. and and there's a kind of confidence that he knows that at least for now there he hasn't you know um he's not out of the picture yeah yeah you know, going back to something we talked about earlier, you know, there being a psychology to these characters, it is so like you do want to say, Brian, just say it. Or when he's g- gonna buy the flowers and he doesn't like just buy the flowers, dude. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. but that but when you know a person who has that much emotional trauma in their life because yeah. of their childhood, yeah. that stuff is very, very hard. Like yeah, it's hard to say the words. Sometimes it's hard to do the actions and as frustrating as that can be, I felt like that was so real for him. And we do see like there are these moments, same for him. Sometimes there are two yeah. steps forward, one step back. And so, absolutely, you know, even though that's frustrating and some people can get upset with him or feel like he's just selfish, like mm-hmm. it really is a struggle. And I felt it was very honest and, and raw how you guys oh, dealt thank with that. You. Yeah, because I think sometimes it's the flip side of that as well, which is, you know, he would say like, I didn't look, I wasn't looking for you, Justin. Right. Like mm-hmm. I didn't want this, but mm-hmm. now you're in me, you're mm-hmm. in my heart and you're, I can't. And, and so it's a struggle for him to make sense of this because Justin does not fit with his credo of life right. and, and, and of, of how he wants to kind of walk his path in the world. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about it is that, mm-hmm. that this sort of, it's a D- David slaying Goliath kind of thing that he really will kind of break down Brian's barriers yeah. and and not in the way that maybe he expected at the beginning of the of their journey right. but um he does kind of you know I think he gives it's it's undoubted that that Brian gives Justin enormous enormous uh gifts as a fellow person but what we start to see is that Justin is giving Brian just the same amount back right. you know um and so yeah. Yeah. I think even just by staying there, because I think there's something in Brian that doesn't feel deserving or worthy of what Justin's Absolutely. trying to give him. And so even and just so by Justin continuing to stay after he's being pushed away and all of that, yep. even and that's Michael, a gift. And with to, Michael, the same as in their friendship, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. there are times where he is trying to um, close, he, he, you know, don't, don't know me this well go right. away, don't look at me kind of ID, which is essentially you, you don't really, it, it's not like Brian's going to break down and, you know, and cry like a baby, but you're seeing the, as you, you, you so astutely put it, you're sort of seeing that wounded, vulnerable kind of yeah. inner child there who's just trying to figure out how to, how to not be hurt. Yeah. 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 So let's go into Season four, something that's mm-hmm. sad in a different way. Uh, mm-hmm. So you had to write on the episode where Vic, where we lose Vic. And, mm-hmm. you know, oh boy, yeah. yeah, fans love Vic. But when we start out, he has um, HIV. Across, I think it's already progressed to AIDS. But um, and so I'm sure that was a hard decision for them to decide, OK, no, he's going to die for you guys to decide that. But how mm-hmm. did that um, how that go? How that all come about? Well, um I think what was important for us to not to stop what I used to kind of call the sort of diagnosis to death continuum, you know, you, and it was more, it was a more a story that we were being told in, in movies at the time, but it's sort of, you get it in act one and you die of it in act three and everybody cries and it's great. You know, it's fabulous tragedy and Mm boohoo. And I think what we, we really wanted to see was, a story of a man living with uh, this virus. Mm-hmm. And of course, just to state the obvious, this was still at a time where we did not have anywhere near the kind of um, uh, medical advances that we see now, where it's mm-hmm. basically not at all a death sentence if you if you manage it and look after yourself and take your meds. But at the time, there, it, we were, again, we were sort of in this place where it wasn't a, a strict... Um, uh, death sentence, but we were far from being out of the woods. And to sort of understand Vic as a, um, uh, you, you know, as somebody who had been, who was an elder, you know, I don't think we ever used that term, but I, I would now, like he, yeah. he was, he was a, a, a trailblazer. He, he taught his sister a lot, Debbie, and, and he really, um, kind of served as an elder statesman kind of for, for these young 
kids. And he, you know, he didn't have a huge role and he wasn't even in every episode, my goodness, but he sort of had a really important role as somebody who just had that gravitas, who had, you know, the battle scars and who was carrying this disease in his body. And we really wanted to allow him to live with it before we sort of offed him. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I know we knew when we were doing season four that, that we were going to lose him. Okay. And I think it was, we were thinking about it a lot to do in terms of what it would do for Debbie and what it would do for Michael. Um, I, I don't remember, you know, I think it was one of those things where we were sort of carrying it along with us through the season um, okay. and then it, it's like, cause you, you never want to kind of pardon yeah. the phrase, but sort of pull the trigger on that. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, I think this is the time, you know, I think okay. this is when we need to change some dynamics, some powerful dynamics in the lives of some of our characters, you know? So I think that that, you know, we certainly didn't do it, um, gratuitously. Uh, it was very thoughtful and we really, you know, we were waiting for our moment. And, and I remember, you know, wonderful Canadian actor, um, he was so gracious about it. You know, he understood that this was probably inevitable. I think what was good about it is we didn't kind of off him in the sort of obvious ways, uh-huh. you know, but we, we, we just felt like it was time to kind of shift the dynamic. And, and that's the thing you have to, you know, we talk about sort of killing our darlings as writers, mm-hmm. which, yeah. you know, generally means, you know, those sentences and, and uh, little plot points that we so love and you have to let them go at some point uh, if they're not working. And, it, but it also very much when you're running a, a, um, a long series, you, your darlings become your characters and it, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to lose them. And, and that I remember there was debate about whether we should or not. And the fact that we were so reluctant to see that character go, it almost told us that's why we need to do it because mm-hmm. we, you know, if, if you're like, yeah, well, whatever, just off that person, bang, bang, whatever, then it, it doesn't mean as much, but mm-hmm. it really meant a lot to us as storytellers. And so I think we knew that we were onto something um, because we knew it would, would pack a punch for our audience. Yeah. I do appreciate that it was a sudden thing and we didn't have to watch yep. that whole, you know, this exactly. disease kill him slowly. I, I, I will say that I did appreciate that. Yeah. And that uh, was a big part of it for us is we just didn't want those sort of long drawn out you know, feeding somebody ice chips in a hospital mm-hmm. bed and, and yeah. You know, yeah. That made me think about something else. So I'm going to tuck two questions together. Uh, yeah. so what was it like writing, writing Brian's cancer arc to take that character who we know to be so strong and to kind of weaken mm-hmm. him and make him face his mortality. And also just, he's thinking that he could possibly lose the thing, what he thinks makes him Brian Kenny, you know, his virility. And so yeah. just to write that arc and then, I'm going to say it in case I forget. And if we don't get to it, it's fine. But also what's behind, why was Vic the right choice to be his kind of like guardian angel? Well, yeah. I mean, you, you sort of answered it in the question. You really nailed it, which is, you, you know, if you're going to take Brian down, you go to the source of his, you know, we didn't talk in these terms, but like that's his chakra, you know, yeah. his chakra is, is, is kind of like his, his sexuality is his right. power. And so if you're just sort of thinking in terms of, you, you know, I think we wanted something that would bring him to his knees, that would humble him, that would ultimately prove to be a gift in the way that I was talking about, you, you know, you cracking somebody open. And then you just start to do the, do the kind of emotional math. Well, what's the best way to do that? What's the, what would kind of hit him where it counts? There's so many, <laughs> you know, bad puns about it, but, yeah. but it, I think what it did was it, it, it was an opportunity to see some of that courage and resilience. And, and also, you know, he didn't do, he, you know, he isolated himself. He, he didn't, it was very hard for him to ask for help. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're not obviously, it was hardly a model um, uh, way of coping with it, but we just wanted to, you know, hit him with some adversity that would, out of which he could emerge stronger, but that would really terrify the bejesus out of him. And, and, you know, any cancer I I would imagine is, is a terrifying thing to, to kind of make sense of, but that, that is such as for any man, it's, it's a scary one. And for, and for Brian in particular, it was, 
it was, um, it, it really did hit, hit, hit him right in the essence of who he was. And, you know, as for Vic, I'll, I'll just say that, you know, that's a perfect example where we really appreciated an opportunity to deepen a, a relationship that we hadn't really seen before. I yeah. mean, certainly Brian and, and Vic were, you know, in rooms together and, you know, said a few lines of dialogue to each other, mm-hmm. but it wasn't, we, it was like a fresh connection that we really hadn't seen before. And, and we just felt like we were really excited by that possibility to sort of see how, you know, in Brian's soul, what Vic represents Mm -hmm. to him, you know, that he is this um, resilient, strong, compassionate person who, you know, might, might be able to offer him, you know, some way through this. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, I just thought about something else. Well, actually I had it written down. I remember to go back to it. So tell me uh-huh. quickly about this fairy camp that, that Oh my God, it's one of my favorite episodes. <laughs> There's some funny story it? it's about that. So okay. um, you're talking about the, the after the grief of for Emmett of, of yes. where he goes to a radical fairy gathering. Mm-hmm. So um th- this is a bit of a story to this, so I'm glad you asked it. So <laughs> Um, the, the head at the time of, of Showtime was uh, Bob Greenblatt himself, an out gay man. Okay. And they, at this point in the, in the show, they were really fine with virtually everything we did. You know, they didn't, they weren't like giving us a lot of notes or anything like that. And it's, this was sort of early in his tenure. And he, he looked at the, the out, outline or script of it. And he was like, look, guys, we I'm good with everything here, but you can't just start making things up. I'm putting, (laughs) you can't just make things up like that. He Uh goes to this fairy gathering and, and there's a fantastic, um, it's like a coffee table book by a a photographer named Carrie Pickett. And it's just called fairy fairies with a E F A E R I E S. And it is, um, a series of beautiful photo portraits of radical fairies at a, at a gathering uh, in a series of gatherings in the, in, I believe it's in Tennessee. And I was like, I think the best thing we can do to respond to this note is to send him a copy of this coffee table book. Yeah. And he, so we send we, we, or I, I don't even, I think this is back when you could order things on books on Amazon. I think all that you could get on Amazon was books. <laughs> we get the book, we send it to, you know, the big corner office, uh, and he takes a look at it and he was like, okay, never mind. It's real. But we basically had to prove to, to Bob Greenblatt that fairies exist. Um, but I'm actually, I'm from the radical fairy community. And okay. um, it is a, it is an extended, um, largely uh, North American, but now worldwide community uh, that's, that's ever evolving. It started as, as uh, male identified, uh, for male identified people. And it's now pretty much different gatherings have different kind Mm of apertures, but they, they uh, it's pretty, it's pretty wide ranging. Now it was founded by Harry Hay in 1979. And it's really a a sort of a spiritual um, advocacy healing kind of tribe of people, mostly men uh, who um, are from time to time go to, you know, gatherings. And most of them are in the, the one I used to still go to in my communities in Oregon, Brightonbush. And so they were hearing me talk about this for years, (laughs) you know, like this. And I, they would even let, I think there were one time they like let me to leave town like a day early to go to a fairy gathering. Oh wow! And, and then at one point, I think it was Dan, he was like, you know, we were talking about how, um, uh, Emmett's going to get over, you know, his grief and mm-hmm. all of that. And he, and Dan was like, well, what if it goes to one of your fairy gatherings? <laughs> and so I was like, I'm down for that. Yeah. And we, um, we, uh, so that's, that's how that happened. So it's there, it's real. I think in yeah. the end, I mean, Ron and Dan did a polish on that script and there was a few things about it that, you know, aren't quite accurate to okay. that, but, but they were interested in that element of, of the truth of who Harry Hay was. And that's why there's sort of that little magical moment where okay. there's somebody there who's, you know, Harry Hay is, is died, isn't died some time ago, but okay. so there's a sort of magical thing where we, we sort of see the founder of that. There's a, a little bit in that, you know, like 
you would never have a situation where, you know, he's given drugs essentially um, off of his, uh, without his consent. Uh, mm -hmm. And that would never happen at a fairy gathering. And most gatherings that I, that I know, the ones I go to are, are drug free entirely anyway. Mm -hmm. But even those who aren't, you know, you would not be a good fairy if you were to sort of slip somebody a little something yeah. in their tea uh, or give them a cookie or something like that. But, uh, you know, th those are sort of minor things. I, I, and some of my friends who are fairies, you know, their names, because many, many fairies take fairy names. Mm -hmm. And so some of them, I use them and they were like totally thrilled <laughs> to see, to see that. So as far as I know, to this day, it's the only kind of, um, cultural wide culture, what do you call it? Pop culture yeah. kind of presentation of the fairies. And, and I just love that we, we sort of had, we, we brought that to light and, um, and that we had to, we had to sort of, it was the, the one thing of the season where we had to tell the, the president of Showtime, you know, <laughs> fairies exist. Yeah. So, yeah. That was how we did it. We wanted it. And I think it was a, something where we wanted to kind of encapsulate some of the fun of, of a gathering, mm -hmm. but also the powerful healing of it. Right. And, you know, a lot of the work of fairies is, is what's known as heart circles. And there's all these different workshops and you don't have to do any of it. You can just go and sit right. in a, sit in a hot spring or go for walks or have sex all day, like whatever you want to do. But, but um, we wanted to sort of show that kind of the way that it is a healing community for so many and ultimately it provides a, a real um, turning point for, for, you know, for one of our characters. Yeah. See, this is why it's so important to, to talk to you and, <laughs> you and the other writers, because I had never known that. <laughs> they No, you never would. I'm so glad you yeah, asked. I am too. I'm glad I yeah, put that on my thing here and I've been trying to like get us yeah. through all my questions, but I'm glad I went back <laughs> to that one because I needed to hear that story. Good. I love it. Yeah. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah. So again, thank you so much for meeting with me and just again for all of your work on that show. Uh, I'm still going to keep my toes and fingers and everything else crossed for <laughs> you know, oh, thank you. that thank we you, get man. to see some kind of revival of it. But. Thank you. I, and you're inspiring me to see what's possible there too. <laughs> uh, and I know that the other writers, I mean, I, I, we want different writers as well, but I think some of the original writers would just be like the best in getting that oh, yeah. back together again. And in the meanwhile, I would just say that I, you know, I do have a new series that's on Netflix. It's called Tiny Pretty Things. Yes. On December 14th, it's uh, set in the world of an elite ballet academy. And it's, uh, we, we were number one in the world for 10 days and number one in the United States for a week. And it's a fantastic, awesome. sexy really kind of dig, digs into the world of dance, but it uses dance to really explore sort of wider themes about yeah. what what particularly what young people are doing, you know, having to face today. And it's, it's the most incredible cast uh, yeah. you'll ever see and a great dance. So. Yeah. I just recently so. found it and I'm loving it so far. <laughs> oh, I love hearing that. Yeah. Michelle, that's really great. Yeah. Well, this was such a pleasure. I yes. So thank you. you. And, and to all the fans listening, you know, it's, it's so humbling to think that the show continues to um, find an audience and to, to inspire and delight and challenge you. And, and it, just and I know that for the cast as well it's it's such a privilege to be continuing the conversation and and you're doing so much you you with this podcast to to make that happen so I, we really appreciate it thank you well again thank you for joining me I hope maybe at some point I can twist your arm again and have you come back maybe talk about <laughs> your other show or something Sure. Love it. <laughs> and thank you for giving me some extra time. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. I hope it, I hope it didn't outstay or welcome here. But... No, no. Okay. <laughs> I'm only letting you go for your sake. I could keep okay. talking. <laughs> okay. well, I hope we continue it another time and another. Yes, really absolutely. <laughs> okay. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye.